0: Romans chapter number 1, and let me begin reading at verse number 1. I'll read the first several verses here of this chapter. The Bible says here, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name, among whom also are ye the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As I pray this morning for uh, this service right now, I'm going to go ahead and lift up uh, two folks that uh, are not with us here today. Uh, We want to pray for Brother Sig Powell, who is in the hospital, uh, was hoping to be out for Easter Sunday, but uh, they're having some struggles getting some medication levels just right. And then on Friday, uh, Carol Pokorny had uh, hernia surgery, and she's still in a lot of pain. So we want to pray for these two. So let's do this. Let's bow our heads, please. Ask the Lord's blessing upon these two, and then these few moments that we have together. Lord, I just come before you, and I thank you for the fact that you are alive. We don't serve a dead Savior. We serve one who is risen. And today, I repeat what that song just was saying to us. I come to tell you, he's alive. As I share the word of God, I pray that you'd use me in a very special way. May hearts be still. Any little ones that are in here, Lord, you just uh, help. May all of our attention, may there be no sounds, no disturbances. I pray that the Spirit of God would be able to work in hearts. And that we would be have our focus on, on those things that you have for us today. I pray for Sig, I pray for Carol, pray that you'd minister to these two. And I ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The British minister William Edwin Sangster began to lose his voice and mobility in the mid-1950s. He himself actually was also in his mid-50s and seemingly having a very rough time with a disease called progressive muscular atrophy. He recognized the end was near, and so he threw himself into writing and praying. In the midst of his suffering, he pleaded with the Lord, and he said these words, Let me stay in the struggle, Lord. I don't mind if I can no longer be a general, but at least give me a regiment that I can lead. Well, Sangster's voice eventually failed completely, and his legs became useless. It was Easter morning, 1960, just a few weeks before his death. He took a pen and shakily wrote his daughter a letter, and in it he said these words, It is terrible to wake up on Easter morning... And have no voice with which to shout, He is risen. But it would still be more terrible to have a voice and not want to shout. I say to you this morning, without yelling or screaming, but here as best as I can, to tell you, Jesus is risen. He's risen. Those who hold to the fact that Jesus came to this earth just to be a good man, to teach us some great little lessons, have no idea why he died, and greater yet, no idea why he rose again. Was Jesus raised just to show to his Father how great and noble a ministry that he had, what his martyrdom was? Was it the mere fact that he was too good of a man and therefore the Father could no longer leave him in the grave? I'm here to tell you today that if you and I fail to recognize the meaning of the death of Jesus Christ, we will never understand the significance of his resurrection. Jesus died to pay for our sins and he rose to show that he could do just that. This morning, I'm here to proclaim to you that the resurrection of Jesus is a cardinal key doctrine of Christianity. And without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. Isn't that amazing? As you read the Gospels, that lined up along the Gospel garden, as it were, we find these appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ to a number of different people. In fact, the first few appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ are very incredible. First of all, Jesus appears to Mary. How amazing it was that He appeared. But then secondly, Jesus appeared to the two Marys. Then we find in Luke 24, it records for us that He appeared to that disciple who had betrayed Him and had spoken against Him. He comes to Peter, and then we jump to Luke 24, the latter part of that chapter, and we find Jesus joins the uh, walking here of the two on the road to Emmaus and begins to proclaim to them who he was. Though these two, when they finally recognize who Jesus is, they begin to proclaim that Jesus truly is risen, and though they're not believed, we begin seeing that the appearances of Jesus are not just something that's experiential, but we see that there is a settled doctrine of the fact that Jesus truly rose, because the fifth appearance is is to the ten disciples. Remember, Thomas said, unless I can place my hands in his feet and in his side, I will not believe. And then the sixth appearance, there it is, Jesus comes in a room where Thomas is with the other ten. And it is there... The Bible records for us that these disciples, they handle Jesus, they touch Him, they hold Him, and now it moves to this great experience of knowing and believing in Jesus. Now the next five appearances are just amazing. He once again appears to His disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it is there that He'll give them the Great Commission. His eighth appearance... First Corinthians records before us that he appears before a crowd of over 500 people. His ninth appearance was to James, who would eventually become a pastor and lead others. His tenth appearance is to the apostles once again, right before he ascended to heaven. And his last appearance was to the apostle Paul while that man was on the road to Damascus to bring believers in Jesus to jail. Eleven appearances. Why are these appearances recorded? Why, are, why is it that the Bible takes time to let us know about these things? Well, I'm here to remind you of something, that these appearances that Jesus gave was to show to these people that he truly is alive. And these disciples went out and proclaimed that Jesus died and was buried and he rose again. And all the way to this very day, some 2,000 years later, there are preachers such as this one standing before you that is proclaiming that Jesus is alive. In fact, I have a very cardinal truth that I must proclaim there is a pillar and ground of truth that is recorded for us in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Would you note that verse with me? Very interesting. The Bible says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now, I want you to notice these next six phrases that are given, how the Bible tells us these key truths that are part of the church. First of all, God was manifest in the flesh. That's Jesus coming to this earth, putting upon himself humanity, God manifest in the flesh. Notice, justified in the spirit, that's the resurrection. Then the Bible says that he was seen of angels, and there were more than angels that just saw him. Those are the witnesses to the fact that Jesus is alive. Then he's preached unto the Gentiles. That's the Great Commission. Those disciples who saw him by the Sea of Galilee were given that Great Commission to proclaim that Jesus truly is alive. Then he's been believed on in the world. Oh my, how many thousands, yea, millions of people have been touched by the message of Jesus and have believed in Jesus Christ, believed on in the world, but then received up into glory. From the witnesses of the apostles all the way to today, there is a proclamation of the truth of the Word of God, and that is that Jesus Christ is alive today. And I want to share with you from Romans chapter 1 a few things that will help us understand why the resurrection is important. Why is it that we stand today and proclaim this cardinal doctrine well let me give you these few reasons first of all number one the early disciples preached about it would you look with me at verse number one and notice this word the word apostle jump down to verse number five the word apostleship both of these words here the word apostle literally means a sent one these men These disciples of Jesus, known as apostles, were sent by the Lord Jesus Christ with a particular message. And it was a message of who Jesus was, why Jesus came, and what he has done for us. Now, it's quite interesting that today, on this day that we call Resurrection Sunday, preachers all across America and around the world will proclaim the resurrection of Christ. But do you know that the resurrection is not just something that should be proclaimed on this day? It should be something that is spoken about every day. And as I look through the book of Acts, how amazing it was that the apostles, all the way through their ministry, proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus. Would you do me a favor and hold your place here in the book of Romans and turn back to the book of Acts, and we're going to begin in Acts chapter 1. I'm just going to have you walk through the book of Acts, if you have your Bible, and go to Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. It's very interesting when Judas had hung himself and it was time to select here a new apostle... That new apostle had to be somebody who had been a witness of the resurrection of Jesus. Look at Acts chapter 1 verse 21. Wherefore of these men which have come in with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of His resurrection. Who was to be an apostle? One who had seen the resurrected Lord. Notice, if you will, Acts chapter 2 and verses 24 through 36. I'm not going to read all these verses, but Peter, as he stands up on this day of Pentecost, is preaching to the people. And when you look at verses 24 to 36... Do you know what Peter's preaching on? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Go with me, if you will, to chapter number 3, and verses 14 to 15. Here it is, Peter once again makes it clear that the ministry that they have is a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, verses 14 to 15. Move further on in chapter 3 to the very last verse. Once again, he mentions the resurrection. Go, if you will, to the next chapter, in chapter 4. One of the reasons that John and Peter were arrested is because they were preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. Look at this. As they spake unto the people, the priest And the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them being grieved that they taught the people and look at this, preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Go if you will to verse number 10, chapter 4. When Peter's called into question as to how he healed the lame man, he couldn't help but citing the resurrection. Notice verse 33 of chapter 4. After the apostles had testified of what God had done and they had prayed together, they continued on in presenting the resurrection of Jesus. Go with you, will, if you chapter number 5, verses 29 to 31. Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus So here it is, while they're standing before the Sanhedrin, the religious council, do you know what they're doing? They're bold enough here to continue to speak about the resurrection. Jump with me if you will a little bit further, Acts chapter number 13, Acts chapter 13. Here we're given Paul's first recorded message, verses 29 to 30, and do you know what Paul presents as a known fact? you guessed it, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Chapter number 17, if you go there for just a moment, verse 18, here's Paul in the city of Athens. Now this would have been the cultural center of the world. We might have, from a human standpoint, excused Paul from saying anything about the resurrection, but not Paul. Paul stands up and boldly proclaims to all of these cultural icons that Jesus rose from the dead. And then I won't have you turn there, but towards the end of the book of Acts, when Paul is before Festus, Festus brings King Agrippa over to him and he says, I want to tell you what Paul's being accused of. All the Jews are accusing him of preaching about this Jesus, whom he says was raised from the dead. And would you know it, that when Paul gets a personal audience with King Agrippa, do you know what he talks about? The resurrection. So why am I saying that the resurrection is important? You might have come in, maybe you were here, dragged to church today, all right? And you're, you know, you got to dress up for church, and here I am on this Easter resurrection day. But I want to tell you something. The resurrection is important because all the way through the book of Acts, the apostles preached on it, proclaimed a bit about it, and told others that Jesus was raised from the dead. So... Why is the resurrection important? Because the early disciples preached it, but then I want you to notice back in our text verse number two, the Old Testament records prophesy of it. look with me if you will at verse two, Paul saying here after he identifies who he is, this apostle separated under the gospel of God, which God, if you will, had promised a four by His prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, there's a pretty amazing scene when I think about prophecy about the resurrection of Jesus. I alluded to it a few minutes ago in Luke chapter 24. Here are two men, unnamed Walking away from all the events that had taken place in Jerusalem. Now you have to get your mind wrapped around this particular week. It's the Passover week. A couple million people have come into Jerusalem to observe these special days of Passover. But it is in this particular time when Jesus is brought before the council and he is crucified. He hangs on a tree and he's buried. And these two men walking away from Jerusalem, that's all they know of. They were excited at the beginning of the week with all the special events of Passover. But now they're walking away with their shoulders slumped down, their heads down, thinking that the one who they had trusted in is now dead and crucified and he's gone. And guess who appears to them? Jesus. Look at this on your screen. Luke chapter 24, verses 25 to 27. Here's what Jesus says to these two men. Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Now notice this. And beginning at Moses... And all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You know what Jesus was doing? Jesus was reminding them of the Old Testament prophecies that foretold of him, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And when they put it all together they began to go out and preach the resurrection. Now that's what prophecy is all about. You know, it's pretty amazing about the Bible. The Bible's written in a lot of different genres. There is historical part. There's biographical sections in the Bible. But we have a section that is, takes up one quarter of the Bible. It is known as prophecy. What is prophecy? Well, prophecy simply is this. Prophecy is the foretelling of something. But very specifically, when we look at the Scriptures, we see in the Old Testament a lot of prophecies that are foretelling about Jesus Christ, and very specifically of His resurrection. Now you say, well, preacher, is prophecy really that important? Well, I want to tell you something. It is absolutely important. Because when you see that 700 years, 1,000 years, 2,000 years before the Lord Jesus Christ had ever come on the scene are all of these prophecies that are given. And as you begin walking through the New Testament, you begin finding that what was prophesied of when Jesus would be born, it happened. Where He would be born, it happened. Who He'd be born of, it would happen. All of the prophecies of His crucifixion took place. All the prophecies of His resurrection came about. And what's amazing here is that the Bible, all of it, from Genesis to Revelation, it shows us that the Bible is like a hand fitting in a glove perfectly. Isn't that amazing to you how powerful this book is? I have people say to me all the time as I'm out witnessing and sharing the gospel with people, Oh, I can't believe you believe that Bible. You know what my response is? I can't believe you don't believe the Bible. People like to say, well, it's an outdated book, it's old, it's irrelevant, it doesn't make any sense. I want to tell you something. How in the world can you take over a period of 1,500 years, some 40 different humans in three different continents to write something we have called the Bible, and yet all of it agrees together? Only God can do that. The reason people don't believe the Bible is because they think men just wrote it. Well, I'd agree with you, if this was just written by men, I'd say, let's go home and eat dinner early on this Easter Sunday. But we're here today because this book is true, it's accurate. Yes. And all of the prophecies that spoke of Jesus have been fulfilled yes. and are being fulfilled when it comes to a second coming. Hallelujah. What a powerful thing. Well, I want to say to you that when we refer back to the book of Acts again, that. Sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Very interesting. Here it is, 50 days after Jesus had resurrected, 10 days after he had ascended up to heaven. And notice here, if you will, on the screen, Acts chapter 2, verses 25 to 27. Let me read this passage to you. Notice what Peter is saying here in Acts chapter 2. Verses 25 to 27. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope because I will not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. You know what Peter's doing here? Peter, in his sermon, is quoting from Psalm chapter 16, verses 9 through 10. He's letting us know that the body of the Lord Jesus Christ would not see corruption and that Jesus would rise again. And in case you think, well, as I read this, I think David might be referring to himself. I want to tell you something. You jump ahead to verses 29 to 31. David makes it clear. I'm not referring to me. I'm referring to the Holy One, Jesus Christ. And that was prophesied of him. There's another interesting scripture, and I'm going to have it put on the screen. Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 to 40. Would you notice this? But he answered and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas, now notices was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth." you know what the gospel writer is sharing with us he's bringing us all the way back to the old testament to jonah now we all know jonah we think well Jonah's just a cute little story we learn when we're in, in children's church about a man who is given a message by god he decided to go another way and there's a big storm the people throw him over the boat he gets swallowed up by some big fish and then he gets spit out on dry ground and we, that's about all we know But do you realize that Jonah was written to give us some truths about the Lord Jesus Christ? One of them was this. Jonah, three days, three nights in that great fish's belly. And it was a foretelling, it was a prophecy. Jesus brought it out in Matthew chapter 12 that Jesus himself would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth predicting his resurrection. What am I trying to tell you today? I'm here to remind you that the resurrection is important because Old Testament prophecy speaks of it. Number three, I want you to notice this. It is a proof that Jesus is God. Look with me, if you will, at verses 3 and 4. I love these verses. Concerning, so the prophecy was given in the Holy Scriptures. And who's it concerning? His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Now look at these words here. And declared to be the Son of God with power. According to the Spirit of Holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now, if I were to ask you a question, what is a proof that Jesus is God? How would you answer? Well, there are some people who would say, well, look at the miracles he did, look at the teachings that he gave. Look at the proclamations that he made about himself. But I want to tell you, the Bible does not give us an indication that any of those things in and of themselves were simply a proof of his deity. You know what the Bible tells us here? The Bible tells us that he was declared to be the Son of God. The resurrection showed that. You say, preacher, how do you know that? Well, let me give you a couple of examples. First of all, the Bible tells us that there were others by the power of the Lord who performed miracles, were there not? Does that mean they're God? No. It showed that they came from God, but it did not mean that they were God. But let me give you another example. In John chapter 2, verse 19, very interesting, you don't need to turn there, but do you remember the scene where Jesus had walked into the temple? Now you have to understand the temple in these days, the temple was more than just the religious outfit outside of the temple in the various gates and various places where people would come in would be a lot of business that were going on. There would be people that would be selling lambs for all of the people coming in for Passover. There would be many others that would be selling things that would be needed for that particular week. So I wouldn't say it would be all bad in and of itself, but they had transformed that whole temple into a place of business and not the place of God's house. And so in John chapter 2, Jesus comes in, as you well know, he overturns the table and he basically lets everybody know in there, this place shall be known as the house of God. Now, religious leaders that are standing there, Arms folded, looking at this one who's come in and basically asks a question. What authority do you have to do this? By whose authority do you have to make this claim that this is your father's house? They knew that he was claiming some deity here. They understood, so they wanted to trap him, and here's what Jesus said in John 2, verse 19. Jesus answered and said to them, he's going to tell them now, here's how you're going to know that I truly am God. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now he wasn't speaking about the temple they were standing in. He was referring to his body. they might not have gotten it then, but the Bible tells us later on in verse 20 and 21 that after the resurrection, the disciples did this. Oh, now that's what that meant. That's what Jesus was referring to. Now, I want to tell you something. You read through the scriptures and there are many resurrections that took place. We read in the Old Testament under the ministry of Elijah and Elisha. We read about uh, 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 when Elisha had died, he was buried. And then there was another man that was buried. And when he touched the bones of Elisha, that man rose again. And how amazing, as we get in the ministry of the Lord, the Lord had walked by a funeral procession and had touched the casket of that young boy, and that boy was raised again. Jesus had gone to His dear friend by the name of Lazarus and raised him again. But I want to tell you, here's what's different about the resurrection of Jesus. Every one of those resurrections that I told you about, those, each of them, went back to the grave. But when Jesus rose again, He rose to live forevermore. There is nobody like Jesus. There is no one like the resurrected Lord. So why is the resurrection important? Because the apostles preached about it. Because the Old Testament scriptures prophesied. And because it is a proof that Jesus is God. But now I save the best for last. And here it is. Resurrection is important. Because it is a part of Of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Look back at your text, if you will, please. Notice here, verse number one Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the next word. It was good for about three of you. Would you give me that word together? Ready, all together, the word? Gospel. All right, that was better. Gospel. What is the gospel? Well, the gospel could be referred to as good news. Good news. How interesting it is that you and I have good news. You say, what is the good news all about? Well, first of all, You and I living on this world are familiar with one word that we often like to avoid, not talk about. It's the word death. Death. As I've been pastor here, I've had my fair share to be at the bedside of those who have passed on. I've comforted widows and widowers who have lost their mates. And I've been with children and others that have lost their parents. And I have to say that as a pastor, as many times as I've been through this, it doesn't get any easier. In fact, I hate death. But just recently, when our dear sister Becky Carantin was there in her bed at the home... And I sat down with her, and I opened up the Scriptures, and I began to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I began to share with her how the Bible says that this mortal body someday is going to put on an immortal body. And this corruptible body is someday going to put on an incorruptible body. And then shall be brought to pass the saying, where is death and the sting of death? And I quoted the verse in the beginning of the service. Thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As I read that scripture with Becky and I began to comment on it, I saw this smile come on her face. And she kind of took her hand and she put it on mine and she said, Pastor, she says, I want to tell you something. And she began to relay about how as a 10-year-old girl, she heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. She heard how Jesus died to pay for our sins. How they took Jesus down from the cross and they buried Him. But she reminded me of the fact, she said, but that Jesus rose again. And she said, I know that I'm going to see Him. You know why the gospel is good news? Because amidst all around us, oh, we have death that we see on a regular basis. Turn on the television and see a school shooting or see some young people that are gunned down or see what goes on in our cities like Chicago and San Francisco and Los Angeles and all around this world. And we are impacted by death, but we're also impacted on a personal level. All of us have felt that sting of death. But the good news is, Jesus overcame death. Amen. Jesus died, was buried, but if He stayed there in the grave, you might as well take everything of Christianity and just put it in the waste barrel. Because there's nothing to it. There's no message. But I'm telling you, the message is in the fact that when Jesus rose again, he basically had these claims. I have power over sin and I have power over death. And if you believe in me, you can have life eternal. That's why, look at, you're in Romans, go to Romans chapter 10 if you will please. Romans chapter number 10, look at verse number 8. In fact, these may be on the screen. Romans chapter 10, verse 8 and 9, look at this. For what saith it? The word is nigh thee, that is near, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. Now, I bet you know verse number 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart look at these next words that God hath raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved hallelujah amen you know what you need to believe when it comes to salvation you don't you should not neither can you believe in yourself Because you're a dying creature. You cannot, nor should you, believe in the good deeds that you have because all of those good deeds are nothing compared to what God's done for us. What you need to believe in is Jesus Christ. The verse we had before, I meant to have it on the screen, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul explains to us what the gospel is. He says, I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Is it not amazing that the gospel is tied in, it is defined, it is given to us in this way that it includes the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ? If you eliminate any part, then you have no salvation, especially the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is vital. Now, in conclusion, this morning. I trust you see how important the resurrection truly is. Somebody once said, the cradle and the cross are of little value without the resurrection. But the cradle plus the cross plus the resurrection equals salvation. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus Christ died for your sins? My friend, you may want to put aside death. You may not want to talk about it. You may hate death as much as I do. But I'm just telling you, you are a dying creature. You're in the process of dying right now. And that death... Yes, your body may go back to the grave, but there'll be one of two places that you'll live forever. One is with God in heaven forever, or without God in a place known as a lake of fire, and that also is forever. And the difference of where you'll spend is based on what you're placing your salvation in. This morning, I believe I'm going to heaven. You say, well, you're a preacher. Do all preachers go to heaven? No, I don't think so. I've met a few that I don't think are going. be honest with you. So it's not whether you're a preacher or you think you're a good person. It's the matter of who are you placing your trust in. This morning, I declare unto you that I place my faith in Jesus Christ not because he was just a good teacher, though he was. Not just because he performed great miracles, though he did. Yet I believe in Jesus Christ because he entered through a womb where they said there could be no entrance. And he lived this life and he died on the cross and he paid for my sins and he was buried and he exited out the, the tomb where they said there, there could be no exit That's the one whom I'm believing in. He has set the way for me. Father, I thank You for today. I thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ who, as the Gospel reiterates, died and was buried and rose again. And Lord, I'm asking here today that You would work in hearts touch people about the necessity of receiving Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Now just here while heads are bowed, eyes are closed, please, just for the sensitivity of this moment, I'd like to ask you this question. Do you know that Jesus that I spoke about? Has there been a time when you've placed your faith in Him? when you've received Him as your personal Savior. If you can say, preacher, I I know that. I remember where I was. I remember praying that prayer and confessing with my mouth and believing with my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And I'm putting all my faith and confidence in Him to go to heaven. And by uplifted hand, you say, preacher, I'm saved and I know it. Would you just slip your hand up right now? God bless you, may put it down. Now, honestly, in a room this size, I couldn't see every hand. I don't, I, and I don't know your heart. Never can, never will know your heart. But you know it. You know what your spiritual condition is. You know you couldn't raise your hand. And you understand completely through this message right now that you're lost and without Jesus Christ. And in order for you to go to heaven... You need to place your faith in Him. Now, some of you right now are saying, well, preacher, thanks for the message, but I'm getting off. We've got our ham in the oven. We've got to get home right now. Well, I'm here to tell you, you may think you can put off salvation, but when the Bible talks about salvation, it says today is the day of salvation. You see, the devil's whispering right now and telling you, wait till next week. Wait till next month. Wait till next year. Wait till you get a little older. Wait till some other things. And I'm here to tell you something. You don't know what will happen between now and then. Today is a day of salvation. Please, in the stillness of this moment, could I just ask this? If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, would you right now Ask Him in your heart and ask Him to save you from your sins. You say, preacher, how do I do that? I want to be saved. I want to know that I'm going to heaven. Right now in your seat, you could pray this prayer. If you would just pray it in your heart silently as I pray it out loud. And please understand, there's no magic in the words. This has to be something from your heart. But why don't you pray this prayer right now? I'll say it in small phrases. And you say it as a prayer unto God. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've broken your commandments. And I deserve hell. But I believe you loved me. And you died on the cross to pay for my sins. And right now I'm asking Jesus Christ, God's holy Son, to forgive me of all my sins And become my personal Savior. Are you here right now and just prayed that prayer? I'd like to rejoice with you. I'll I'll not call you out. I'll not embarrass you. But I'd like to just pray in closing. And encourage you about some things. How many would be bold enough that you're not ashamed of Jesus? And you say, preacher, just right now I prayed that prayer and I asked him to be my Savior. Would you just lift your hand up right now? Anyone here today? God bless you. Anyone else here today? Preacher, I just prayed that prayer. I asked the Lord to save me. Oh, my friend, I want to encourage you today that when we begin to sing in just a moment and have what we call an invitation time, I want to invite you to come. We'll have some people right up front known as personal workers, and you let them know, hey, I just prayed that prayer. I'd I'd like to be saved. In fact, I'll step right down to the front. If you pray that for prayer, you come see me right at the front. I'll be glad to get some, invita- in, some materials in your hand and to help you in your newfound faith. Now, most of you here today are Christians. You know Jesus. You know you're saved. I'm rejoicing today in what Jesus did for me. And I, I'd like to just give praise to Him. And when we stand in just a moment, when the piano begins to play, I'm going to invite you to either come and stand right up at the front or kneel down or sit in the front row, or maybe just sit down right where you're at and give praise to God for the fact that you know the resurrected Jesus. Give Him praise for what He's done for you.